Last week, uh, David talked with us about the uh, possible responses we have as Christians to the issue of war. Uh, and mainly in a, in a theoretical way, and I say in theory because right now, not that many of us are involved in military uh, service. We're not serving uh, in some branch of the armed forces. And our country uh, is not in a declared war with any other particular nation. Uh, but this morning, I'd like for us to move out of the theoretical and into the practical, and then I'd like to talk to uh, you about um, uh, an aspect of war that seems to involve each of us. And in this particular war, the soldiers are young, and the soldiers are old, and the battlefield is the home front or wherever uh, a family happens to be gathered together. Now, when I was growing up, and you may uh, be reflecting on this too, that you didn't, and I didn't think about the fact that I was involved in a war when I was at home in Eugene, Oregon. But uh, I think my parents thought that they were involved in a war, especially when they had four teenagers. And as I look back on that time in my life, I see that there were uh, a lot of conflicts, several skirmishes, a few major battles, uh, and the result of all that were a lot of flesh wounds, uh, mostly on my backside. Uh, and now that, uh, well, actually last week I was in Eugene briefly and discussing with uh, my mother while I was there the fine art of button pushing. How many of you know about the fine art of button pushing out there? Anybody of you? Good, we got some people down here. Can you verify that back there? There's some buttons? No? The parents sitting over there, we want to verify these things. And I was talking about button pushing, and my mother, I'm sure, was reflecting on how I used to uh, master that art growing up as her son. And I was uh, relaying to her how my daughter, Abby, uh, who's a two-year-old and just a picture of innocence, um, has mastered the art of button pushing especially with her older sister. She's able to uh, manipulate her quite well and push those buttons and get what she wants. And now that uh, I have uh, been a child and am in the process of uh, becoming a parent, uh, I realize more and more that parent-child relationships uh, often seem like a civil war. And that... Uh, during, that, during this growing up time uh, of war, we, uh, we stand back. Each side has its own arsenal of weapons. They are uh, loaded. They are aimed at specific targets. And a battle plan has been strategically mapped out to get what you want, to gain that ground. Fortunately, though, God doesn't leave either the children or the parents uh, in the dark. He gives us some great words of advice, and that primarily uh, comes from the book of Ephesians. So if you'll open up with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at those uh, four key verses. Actually, I said in chapter 4, it's Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, 
that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As I was preparing uh, this week, I had uh, uh, visions of uh, preaching through this. And as I started out with this first section, that the the parents in the audience would be uh, sitting there uh, silently cheering and heartily giving their uh, uh, amens of agreement to what I'm saying as far as children obey your parents. And the children in the audience would be sitting there giving me uh, their disgusted, uh, angry looks. What are you talking about up there? And then halfway through the message, everything would switch. And all of a sudden, the parents would become a little bit uneasy and, and unsure and maybe a little disgusted. And the uh, children would begin to smile and shout amen as we went through the rest of the message. And by the time that I'm finished, that everybody would be thoroughly disgusted with me. Well, if you feel thoroughly disgusted by the time that this is uh, through this morning, remember it's uh, God writing through Paul, not me. I'm just a mouthpiece, just uh, pointing out what's already there in Scripture this morning. It's helpful to know the context uh, of this particular passage. In the, in the last uh, half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, Uh, This is called the practical section of Ephesians. Paul talks about walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we have as Christians. And then as he goes from uh, the last half of chapter 5 to the first half of chapter 6, he talks about three different kinds of relationships. He talks about a husband and a wife relationship, a parent-child relationship, and the slave-master relationship. And there are a couple of principles that we need to keep in mind that are gleaned from uh, the first part of of chapter 5 in in that relationship on husbands and wives that will help us uh, as parents and children. The first one comes from uh, Ephesians 5.18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And even though Paul is addressing the church body here, the idea we need to glean from this is that we need to be spirit-controlled people. We need to have God's spirit working in and through us in order to respond positively to the directions, the commands that he gives us. So keep that in mind. And then secondly, in verse uh, 21, chapter 5, he says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. But we need to have a mutual submission to each other uh, as parents and children. And we need to do that out of a reverence, out of a respect for the person of Jesus Christ. So keeping those two principles in mind, the idea that we need to be controlled and empowered by God's Spirit and that we need to be mutually submissive, subject to each other, let's move on ahead with courage uh, facing these four verses and seeing what they have Uh, to say to us. And Paul starts in with, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. The first thing I want to point out to those of you who are uh, children, living at home with parents out there, is that this is a command. This is not an option. This is not something that Paul says, well, it would be good, Uh, it would be okay, you don't have to do this. 
But it's a command, and it's a serious one, and we have to start at that point. There is no other option for us as children. It's obedience. Obedience to our parents. And the thing that I want to reiterate, uh, again, that you've heard before, is that God is not a cosmic killjoy. God is not out there laying down commands for us in a capricious way just so he can sit up there in heaven and have a good laugh or a good time saying, ah see them trying to do that? That's not God's purpose at all. God gives us commands because he knows what's best for us. I know that we all think we know what's best, but we really don't. So God gives us commands to protect us from ourselves and from others. And that's just one benefit of God's great love for us. He loves us so much that he gives us commands to help us. And there are several reasons why we would want to be obedient as children to parents. Yet as I am trying to put myself in the position of of children out there, you're probably thinking in your mind, hey, but you don't know. I mean, God has really given me a couple of turkeys for parents. You just have no idea what God laid on me. And I really doubt that he did give you a couple of turkeys for parents. Uh, but if he did, remember that that makes you a little turkey. So um, be careful. And there is uh, still you know, the, the idea that we have to remain true to this directive. We have to be obedient to what our parents are telling us. And the first reason is right here in the last part of this verse. For this is right. More graphically, this is righteous. That's what the word means. It's righteous. It's morally good. It's a good thing. It's the thing that pleases God. It's the right course of action that God has laid out for those of you who are children with respect to your parents, that you're to be obedient to them. This is the thing that pleases God. This is God's will. And if we want to be doing God's will and pleasing God, then we need to submit here. The second reason is that God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. He doesn't promote anarchy at any particular level of relationships or in society. And so he has laid things out in order. And the order is that uh, we are to be underneath our parents. The word here for obey is, in the Greek, hupokuo, which means nothing to you, except that it's two words. To listen under. And we are to uh, willingly put ourselves in a position of listening under Parents, those of you who are children. And it comes from a willing heart, not the idea of a lion being caged up and just ready to explode at any minute and saying, I'm only doing this because I have to. It's the idea that you want to do it. It's the good thing to do. And it's the orderly thing to do. Life will be much easier for you, socially and emotionally, if you're obedient to your parents. If you know those uh, 
those limits, if you know uh, where, where you can do, where you can go, it can be a very freeing rather than a frustrating type of life. So the first thing is that it's righteous. The second thing uh, is that it's uh, to keep order, to keep from having chaos. And the third thing, the third reason, is that it's we are all under authority throughout our entire life. We need to learn to respond to authority. And the safest, easiest place to learn about responding to authority is in the home. Before we move out into life. Because whether we like it or not, or recognize it or not, we're ultimately under authority to God. Even if you are the kingpin in, in your particular sphere of, of business, business or whatever, and everybody else is underneath you. Somewhere down the road, somebody is always above you. There's always a higher authority. We need to learn to respond to that authority. Now, if somebody would have told me this uh, while I was growing up, that, Terry, you need to be in, in submission, or you need to obey your parents, I would have nodded in general agreement and said, yeah, that sounds good, but if you expect me to do it all the time, you've got to be crazy. I mean, I'm, I need to express myself. I need to... to to grow in my independence. And you see, children are very good. They use the word independence. It sounds very astute. You know, I want to be independent. Parents see it as rebellion. They are rebellious people. But whether we look at it as independence or rebellion, uh, it boils down to the same issue. And that's still one of obedience. And God's will is very clear that unless... Our parents ask us to do something contradictory to the will of God. We are to respond to what they want us to do, for better or worse, until such time as we are no longer their children, quote-unquote, as far as living at the home. And now you're asking me, what is the guideline? Where is the break? When am I out from under this particular command? And that's a good question. I wish I had a good answer. (laughs) Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't make this uh, black and white. But I think there are some uh, good guidelines to go with. And in this particular country, uh, I think you're a child if you're from the age of 0 to 18 and you're living at home and your parents are supplying you with the essentials of food, clothing, and shelter. In our particular society, 18 is the magic age. That's the age that you graduate from high school. That's the age that you vote. That's the age that you register uh, for the armed services. Uh, That's the age that you become legally responsible for your actions. And so we have arbitrarily kind of said 18 is is the standard, is the, the moving out time. And some people at that age are more mature than others. And I wouldn't want to say that everybody's able to handle life on their own at 18. Some of you, for whatever reasons, may have uh, been moved out on, into the world for whatever circumstances prior to that age. And you're out functioning, living on your own, supporting yourself. And in that case, I'd say that you are no longer a children under your parents' direct authority. Uh, some of you are 18 or over. Uh, you're living at home sometimes. Maybe you're in college. Your parents are supporting you. In that case, 
then there are probably some areas that you need to uh, respond to their directives. You're still somewhat uh, under their influence. And you need to be sensitive to that. There's still some dependency in, in that relationship. So the, the critical things as I see it, as to determine whether or not you're still under this command, is one, are you living in their house, your parents' house? And are they supplying for you the essentials of food, clothing, and shelter? And again, there could be all kinds of exceptions to this. These are just some general guidelines. But I do not see it that if you are single and out on your own, that you are still under your parents' direct authority here just because you are not married. Now remember, we talked about singleness a few weeks ago, and the single life is a good lifestyle as far as God's concerned. He'd be glad for us to be single people, out on our own, pursuing the kingdom of God. Okay, so I hope those are uh, a couple of helps for you with respect to determining, am I a child or am I not a child? Now, the next part, verses 2 and 3, uh, are taken as the fifth commandment from the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And what I think Paul is doing here is merely elaborating on his first sentence. And he's showing us that what he's saying is really rooted in Old Testament theology. That it's a good idea, it's, it's God's desire that you honor your father and your mother. And the idea there was, again, obedience to them. And they had a law that if a child was too rebellious, he was to be stoned. Now, to the best of our knowledge, that was never carried out. But God was pretty serious uh, about what he was saying here. But if you think about it, for each of us, even if we're uh, out and on our own and have our own family, it's still a good idea to honor your father and your mother. The idea that it may go well with you. Uh, the promise here that it may be well with you, that you may live long on earth, I think is a general proverbial statement that Paul is making because he cuts out some of the commandment. If you look in Deuteronomy and if you look in uh, Exodus, you'll see that he's talking about uh, that it may go well with you in the land, that you may live long in the land. He's talking about the Israelites in the land of Palestine. Well, that's not applicable to the audience of the Ephesians and it's not applicable to us today to talk about living in the land. But he's saying it's a good idea for you to honor your father and your mother that it just may go well with you. And in general, if you think about it, it's true that if you keep that bridge of relationship going with your parents, that life will go somewhat better for you. I think if I would have burned the bridge of relationships with my parents when I became an independent person, that some of my past and a lot of my future would have some turmoil to it. It's because uh, our parents, as they're growing older and we're growing older, they all of a sudden become grandparents at times. And grandparents are nice to have around. And you want to have a good relationship with your parents then. You want your children to have a good relationship with those grandparents. And as our parents uh, get older... There might be times that they need to lean on us. They want to have that security that, hey, there's someone there within the family to help them. So we need to keep that bridge of relationship going. We need to honor our our parents. We need to respect them. My relationship with my parents now is much better than, than when I was a teenager, than when I was even in my 20s. That it seems to be getting better. And, and I'm not a perfect son, and they're not perfect parents. But we're able to accept that in each other. 
And if to this point you're saying, oh man, I don't even know if I could or, or should follow this command to obey my parents. Remember the opening principles that we talked about. It's God working in you and through you that allows you to do this. God never gives us a command for which he does not give us the power to carry it out. He always gives us the resource in his spirit to carry out the command that he gives us. And we need to remember that. And if there is another side to balance out the issue, the idea of mutual subjection, Paul's just about to come to the point now, and I'm just about to come to the point now, where the, there's a balance on the other side. And if a child, you think you're hearing hard words, as parents, you're going to hear harder words from Paul. And he says in verse 4, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, if you've been out there cheering and shouting your amens silently, you may be changing your tune. And if you've been a little bit down, feeling that God is putting a weight upon you, you might begin to start cheering and shouting, echoing your amens here. Um... Let's notice first that little word and in verse 4. That makes the connection between uh, his command to the children and his command uh, to the fathers. So that tells us that these two items are drawn in together. That God has given uh, a command to both parties for the good of both parties. And they're to work out the situation together. And the command is, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It's a very strong, negative command. He's saying, if you are, by your actions, provoking your children to anger, then stop it. Don't do it. And if you are not provoking your children to anger, don't start. Don't do the things that would start provoking them to anger. And so your first question is, how do we as parents provoke our children to anger? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Thank you. Now I have a few more minutes I can carry on. First, is that we provoke our children to anger when we are too strict. When we live by the law, whatever law we set up. When we do that we are responding out of fear, not love. We're afraid that our children are going to make some of those boo-boos that we made. And that scares us. It scares me. And I've only got a four-year-old as my oldest. But all of a sudden, that fear that, "Uh uh-oh, they might do something similar to what I did, causes us to respond and tighten in, lay down the rules. And that's fear that's doing that. That's not love for the child that's doing that. And we panic. And so, as we do that, as we tighten in on the rope, that brings about their anger. Because the natural course of a child is to grow up. Is to become increasingly more independent, increasingly more responsible. And what we're doing, if we're holding the reins too tight is that we're emotionally trying to manipulate them. We're trying to hang on. We're trying to control them because we don't want to give up. We don't want to let them go out on their own. We don't want to let them make mistakes. 
the same mistakes that we made, the same mistakes that we learned from. And somehow we survived. Somehow God saw us through. But we don't think of that. We just think of, oh, I've got to control this situation. And so we clamp down. And when we do that, we're working against nature. We're working against the course of things. And we can't do anything else but provoke the anger of our children. The second way is just the opposite extreme. It's being too loose, too casual, too carefree, too much grace or grace alone. And we do this as parents under the guise of independence. We're helping them become more independent. Well, really what we're doing is we're abdicating our responsibility as parents. We don't want to get involved in the tough process of parenting. So we just let the child go their own way. The problem with this is that there are two obstacles that are very difficult to overcome. The first one is that that kind of action communicates to your child, I really don't care about you. I really don't love you. See, that child is looking for us to help them, to respond to them. And we're saying, hey, just go ahead and do it. It's okay. i got perfect confidence in you. And they're saying, hey, all that means is they just really don't care about me. And the second problem is that it gives them too much freedom. Freedom that they're not able to handle yet as children. And so they're out there trying to find the limits. They're doing certain activities, certain action out here, pushing away. And when they don't find the limit at one point, they move on to the next point. And if they don't find it there, they move on to the next point. And so they're just running wild. And it's very hard to bring that kind of a person back into control. It's very hard to get them to respond to authority. It'll be hard later on in their life to be self-disciplined. It'll be hard later on in their life to respond to God as an authority. Because we've just let them go and they have found no limits out there. It's like a wild horse out on the range, just running and running. The third area is right between these two, or it's a mixture of the two, and it's called inconsistency. We drive children up the wall with our inconsistency. And it happens in one of two ways. Either as a parent, myself for example, I might be inconsistent in how I'm handling certain situations. At one time, I might come down really hard on a particular action. The same action the next time, I might just say, oh, that's fine, no problem. And the child's looking at me like, where am I? What's going on? What's the right thing? What's the wrong thing? Or, if you have two parents working together, one's moving off in this direction, and one's moving off in this direction, and there's no consistency, and your kids start playing a game. They start bouncing you off of each other. They know how to get what they want. They say, well, let's see, Dad, nah, he's not the one to ask this time. I'll go ask Mom. She'll let me do it. And as soon as one parent you know, says yes or no, and the other parent contradicts that, you've got some real problems. And the child knows that. So we need to be consistent with ourselves. We need to be consistent working together as parents. Because that's what our children really want. They want us to be consistent in our relationships. That gives them security. That gives them a good feeling. They know the limits. They know what they're supposed to be doing. Now the next area, the fourth area, is in the area of communication. 
the communication we have with our children, or should I say the lack of communication that we often have with our children. We like to hide behind the newspaper, behind the magazines, behind the TV, behind hobbies, behind projects, behind these words, just a minute. You ever do that to your children? They call for you, just a minute. That happens to me all too often. Rebecca and Abby will say, Dad, come on outside and play. Come play, Dad, come play. And I'll say, just a minute. And 30 minutes later, I'm wondering why they aren't so excited to play with Dad. You know, because I've just pushed them off. Do you ever find yourself asking your children how they feel about a project that they're involved in or a situation at school, just to talk with them, just to let them express themselves? Do you let them express their side of the issue when things may have gone wrong? I speak to my own condemnation this morning on that. Just twice in the last month, I've blown it at home with my oldest daughter. The most recent time was two nights ago. I don't know why God always does these things when you're in the midst of studying a particular portion of Scripture, but he has a way of making it applicable to the preacher as well. (laughs) So, it was a couple of nights ago, and I had asked my oldest daughter, Rebecca, not to do something. And I had gone out of the room and left and come back, and I thought I saw her doing what I had asked her not to do. And so I went in to talk with her about it. I wasn't going to discipline her with a spank. I just wanted to talk with her about it. And she busted, broke down into tears and just didn't want to talk. And finally, Mom was available, and she came in. And when I got the facts straight, she had not acted you know, disobedient. She had acted responsibly in the situation. And so Dad had to uh, swallow his pride, humble himself, pick up his little girl, and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Give her a kiss, you know, hope that things would work out all right. And children are not expecting us to be perfect parents. They are expecting us to be human enough to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me when we've blown it? It's just part of communication. The fifth area is that of mechanical child raising. A little cookie cutter idea. We're individuals and we do things a certain way and we like to do things a certain way. And so as we have more than one child, we just kind of boom, boom, <laughs> boom. And we just put the, put the stamp on them as they go by regardless of who they are. Well, we need to remember they are individuals too. They have individual personalities. My two older children that have developed their personalities, the youngest one is only a few months old, it's not developed yet, thank God. (laughs) But in the two oldest ones, their personalities are as different as night and day. What works to motivate one does nothing for the other one. What works for discipline with one is useless with the other one. And so I've learned a lesson as a parent already, that if I want to have a positive impact on my children for life, I have to become a student of my children. I have to know 
the idiosyncrasies of each one and what it takes to motivate them, what the effective way of discipline is, how they want to learn things. And as I do that, then they will respond. Now, Paul, in his uh, command here, starts out with the negative, but then he makes a quick change with the word but. You have to be careful when you read along in Scripture and all of a sudden, but comes there. That oftentimes means that he's making a contrast between what has preceded and what is following. And that's what Paul is doing here. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it's obvious that the key words here are discipline and instruction. What really do those mean? And the idea of discipline carries us beyond the idea of mere punishment or chastisement. It's the idea, the word actually uh, is paideia and has the idea of being together with a child. It pictures a process that we are in relationship with our children, training them, making them accustomed to the ways of life, not disciplining them when they stray from the path as much as teaching them what that path is. And if they do stray from the path, then we have the responsibility to exercise discipline. There are two kinds of discipline, corrective discipline and preventative discipline. And the emphasis here is more towards corrective discipline, but it's always done in the context of relationship. And the next word there is instruction. And it has to do more with the mind, more with exerting influence where there may be resistance. It involves our mind and our will. And so when I see this, I realize that I need to make appeal to my children's mental capacities as those capacities grow. I need to respond to the level that they're at, and I need to teach them various things. I want to warn them. The idea behind this word of instruction is admonish or warn. I want to let them know. I want to try to reason with them as best I can. See, the goal of all instruction and discipline is self-discipline. We want our children to grow up to be self-disciplined people. So that's the goal that we shoot for, and it's always in the idea of a relationship. Then the last phrase there, of the Lord, serves as a qualifier for us. And there are two ways uh, to look at this phrase. One would be that uh, it qualifies what we are to talk about. In other words, we're to discipline and give instruction just with respect to spiritual things to make sure that they get all the input that they need from the Bible or wherever we want to give them spiritual input. The second idea also qualifies the phrase, but it's the idea that God is the guiding principle. The way in which we raise our children would be a way that is pleasing to God. In other words, God would be up there kind of checking on us and saying, is this pleasing to me, the way that you're handling your children? As well as the subject matter. Are we teaching our children about all of life? Not just Bible knowledge, but about all of life. Some things which seem to be totally unrelated to the Bible, but are essential for getting along in the outside world. And for myself, I think the latter one uh, serves the purpose better in the context of parent-child relationships. That we as parents need to keep this in mind, that God is the one that we need to look to for guidance, that overriding principle.
Now, in closing, I just want to uh, give you a few positive directions to move in as parents because I believe that we as parents are the responsible party. We are the ones who need to initiate these relationships with our children. The first thing is that we need to give our children unconditional love. Not, I love you because you've done this, or I will love you if you do this, or I will love you when, or whatever, but I love you, period. Just because you're you. That's because God loves us unconditionally. We love God because he loves us that way. We feel good about God because he loves us that way. We feel good about ourselves because God loves us even when we're rotten. And if we love our children with anything less than unconditional love, we put a performance tag on that love, and that's not fair. That is not right. That is not righteous. It's hard to do. We aren't perfect at it, but that's our goal, is unconditional love. My parents know nothing of the word agape, love. But they demonstrated unconditional love to me as I was growing up. And I thank them for that because I have a model to work from. The second area is that of eye contact and physical contact. We need to respond to our children when they call our name, when they ask our help. When we're sitting at the dinner table, we need to discuss with them and look them in the eye. Or we may need to sit down on the ground or kneel down so we're on their level so they're not always looking up and what's going on up there. They get a sore neck that way. So we need to give them eye contact and physical contact. Lots of kisses and hugs when they're young. And if you do that when they're young, they won't mind it. They'll like it when they get older. You know, as a teenager, if you do it in front of all their friends, they're going to... But they still love it on the inside. They still love it that mom and dad love them. And that's how we communicate our love, is by that eye contact and by that physical contact, a touch on the arm or the shoulder, a pat on the head, whenever it's appropriate. The third area is focused attention. We need to give our children special time, special attention, each one individually. Read with them alone or let them read to you or go shopping together or camping together. Do something special together. Build something together. Take time to be with each one individually. In our home, we've got it set up that uh, once a month, I take each girl out individually. It's like a date. I call them up from the office and... Nancy answers the phone, and I say, is Rebecca there, or is Abby there, depending on which one I'm asking out for lunch, and she'll go and get them, and she'll say, Abby, Daddy's on the phone, and all of a sudden I hear, McDonald's! You know, <laughs> she grabs that phone, and, and uh, Daddy, want to go to McDonald's? Good. You want to go to lunch today? Yeah, I want to go play at McDonald's. Say, okay, I'll be home in just a little bit, and uh, and we'll go out to lunch. Now, one time I did this, and my oldest girl was asked to come to the phone, and she didn't want to talk to Dad. So we switched, and I got the younger one. And the older one has not missed a phone call to this day. (laughs) So focused attention... Try to find a way to make each child feel special. When these girls grow up, I'm going to take them out to dinner as a date. 
so I can maintain that contact. We have to make time to do these things. It doesn't just happen. We're all busy people. We have to make the time. The fourth thing, oops, got to hustle up here. Fourth thing would be give your children the kind of parents who are well-read with respect to knowing what's going on at their age level. Give them the privilege of parents who are intelligent about what's going on. That means you may need to read about what it's like to be a two-year-old or a ten-year-old or a teenager. You need to become informed about what naturally is taking place in your child's life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in all facets. We need to do that because then we can work with the process instead of against the process. I'm continually amazed as I sit down with parents and they talk to me about their problems. I'm thinking, if they'd only take some time to read a book or two, they'd understand why their particular child is acting this way. See, we don't take time to find out. And I consider it for myself, it's an act of irresponsibility on my part. It's inexcusable on my part, if I don't know what naturally is taking place in the development of my children. And if you need some places to start, a man by the name of Ross Campbell has two excellent books out. One is How to Love Your Child, it's for littler kids, and the other one is How to Really Love Your Teenager. Both of them are excellent books and will start you down the road. There are other books that are Christian and secular, you can get them from the library or Christian supplier, wherever. But start reading to find out so you're not caught off guard, so you can respond rather than react to your children. Now, I've given uh, both parents and children both barrels this morning. And uh, what I would draw us back to are those principles that we start out with. We need to let God empower us. It's impossible without doing that letting him work in and through us. And we need to uh, be mutually submissive to each other. There's a balance there. Parents, don't be authoritarian. Be authoritative in your dealings. Don't abuse the fact that children are supposed to be obedient to you. Love them. Let's stand as we close this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, the fact that you uh, give us directions that are wise, you give us power to carry out those directions. We ask that as we go this morning, as either children or parents, that you would uh, be our guiding light, that you would be our power resource, that you would help us to be the kind of person that you want us to be in these relationships. Amen.